Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love history um, and also creating things. And we like to start by talking about what we have been making and or baking recently, which is sometimes historically related and sometimes not. Um, so what have you been up to? I have been back on my soap nonsense. <laughs> so I love that this periodically happens. <laughs> well, I want we're running out of like soap that is not things that I made with my special oils. Um, I regret the phrasing, but moving on. Uh, <laughs> and I wanted to make one for Nick. So I went on to where I normally get my soap supplies and got a fragrance called, it was just called Spiced Apple, but smells like apple pie. So I made Nick a nice hey. apple pie. Ah. So, like, it's got the colours of apple pie. It's great. And it smells delicious. So that's what Nick's going to smell like for the next forever. <laughs> it's a, I made a lot of bars. <laughs> Sounds but like they, a good smell. It's a really nice smell. But they also had on offer a scent called Pomegranate Noir. <laughs> and I was like, that, that sounds like a thing I want to smell like. That sounds like a, like a, a knockoff of a name brand perfume that's like just slightly different. I mean, this is the same place where I got Infinite Man, so it absolutely is. Infinite Man was good. <laughs> I've still got some Infinite Man. Because <laughs> it's infinite. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just the same half a bottle forever. But yeah, so I made a soap with the pomegranate noir for me, which is mm -hmm. like purple and pink swirlies with some autumn and like orange and then some green leaves on top for kind of a Persephone vibe. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and naturally, as usual, I will be sending you those once they've cured. Yes, please. My My little <laughs> dish of... Soaps that I made my Liz is almost empty, so I well, need clearly I need to send you some more. Yeah, absolutely. Can't let you use normal soaps; they're <laughs> sodium lauryl sulfates, like a peasant. <laughs> I, I only use handmade artisanal soap made by the fair hands of only my closest <laughs> friends. It's it's small batch and everything. Make like eight <laughs> bars at a time. Fantastic. I hope you smell great. You know, in any other context, that would be a weird thing to say to someone. I hope you smell great. But also, I do smell great. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what have you been up to? Um, I have managed to do a little bit of the... Uh patchworking working on my quilt cool. um, yeah I've got all my fabrics now um plus it's sort of a mixture of um a few sort of things that I had left over um a few sort of old clothes and things and then I um I got some really fun uh fabrics to go with them and, and found a background so that's fun um Still going to be a long while, but <laughs> there's a there's a picture on the Tumblr if anyone wants to see that. Oh, um, is this the Rose of Creation one? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, the same one. Yeah, the colours in that are gorgeous. Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I went for a sort of slightly galaxy but orange-ish um, type theme, and the background is uh, a midnight blue. So, nice. um, yeah, I'll try it, and I'm going to attempt to hand quilt it as well eventually. Um, so watch this space probably for quite a while <laughs> and um, don't know if I mentioned my last um, planting attempt but I have successfully germinated some cucumber seeds that's fun <laughs> um, you can tell I'm about to it's very exciting if you do not acknowledge that cucumbers are in fact the devil <laughs> I love them. They're delicious, crunchy water. 
Um, you can tell I'm about to hit 30 because I, suddenly I'm all into gardening. I watch Gardener's World every night, Friday with my mum. <laughs> um, but that's super fun. My chilli plants are alive. <laughs> I, even potted, I even potted them out and they're not dead. So all is good, especially considering the weather we've been having here in the UK. <laughs> um, I The thing is, I sowed a lot because I thought that they wouldn't germinate very well it being a bit cold and you know um, I'm not gonna heat my house to over 20 degrees in this economy um <laughs> but I must have done something right because like pretty much all of them germinated and now I'm running out of windowsill <laughs> so I need to give some away <laughs> Which means I can be the bearer of plants, um, can. which is, is fun. If if we lived nearer to each other, I'm sure Nick would have t taken some off your hands. Yes, I, I would absolutely. I wish I could send plants in the post. Um, my mum used to do that when I lived in York. Um, she would send me cuttings in the post. Some of them survived. Very good. <laughs> Some of them survived. It's such a, a vote of confidence. <laughs> I think that was more to do with me than like the post. Oh, system. okay. I thought you just meant survive transit. Most of them are okay. I didn't have a lot of space though. I mean, it's, it's pretty housing. tricky gardening when you don't have a garden. <laughs> <laughs> And then I went on holiday and my housemates didn't water my plants and they all died. So, that the end. Well, that's what I deserve for not watering your plants. <laughs> uh, anyway, all is, all is now good. I will hopefully have vegetables. Um, would, would you like a podcast topic? <laughs> I think that might be our worst segue yet. Yes. And I interest you in a podcast. <laughs> in these trying times. <laughs> um, yeah, anyone who's, um, who's feeling a bit tired tonight, who's not up for a whole bunch of facts coming at you, um, probably a good one. A, a good one for you guys, because I've got quite a chill storytelling episode planned. Um, I thought I would take on the subject of folkloric tropes and cliches. Oh, uh, this is a big one, obviously. So I'm I'm keeping it fairly concise. I've got three stories that are examples of a particular trope. Um, but are they food related? They do also involve food. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> yes. So obviously one of the um, most fun um, ways of uh, getting clues about domestic history is the stories that we pass down from generation to generation. Um, and they often change in the telling, where you get loads of different versions. Often they you get the same kind of... Um, tropes appearing um, across many different cultures and parts of the world, um, which I, you know, says something about the human condition, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but then also, equally, many things are unique to each culture with their storytelling that you know tells you a lot about the people that, that tell the stories. Um, so, yeah, I, I really love just reading as many, many folk tales and fairy tales as I can. Um, but we're going to delve into a few of them a bit more closely tonight. Um, and I uh, hope you have a good time. So the first one that I have got comes from the Watkins Book of English Folk Tales by Neil Phillip. Um, oh, this, this edition. And this, uh, 
this collection. Um, trying to figure this out actually. Um, because it says in the front, first published in 1992, um, but I'm pretty sure this collection, a lot of these stories were collected quite a bit earlier. Um, but the thing I really like about this book, or this collection of folktales, is that each story comes with a little description of the person who narrated it to the author. Well, that's fun. Um, that is really lovely. Um, so many of the tales in this book um, are taken down from Romani people or other travelling people. Um, and there's one fantastic one that mentions uh, another um, collection of stories which is written down in the Welsh Romani dialect, which I never knew existed and it's just sounds amazing. <laughs> Um, but it's not this one. This one is narrated by a Mary Ann Smith, and uh, it was contributed in 1896 um, by one of the folklore collectors of the time. It used to be uh, kind of a, a fun hobby for... Um, rich people with a lot of time, or sometimes vicars, <laughs> also with a lot of time. I mean, a lot of vicars were rich people with a lot of time. That is true, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to go around and sort of write down um, a lot of these folk tales and old songs and, and things like that, because there, there was a sense um, at the time of these things being endangered um in you know what the time was the the modern age um and and so a lot of these collections come from that time and this one um the narrator apparently remembers hearing in childhood um and she was from Hertfordshire and the tale is called the green lady and the trope that it contains um is going out into the world to seek your fortune which you know is a great career for anyone <laughs> honestly i wish it was still viable <laughs> absolutely um it seems pretty easy in a lot of the tales the the, the protagonist just kind of announces one day all right i'm going out to seek my fortune and sort of packs a few things into a bundle and just sort of marches out. And usually there'll be three tasks or there'll be three people or something like that. And um, it, it does help if you are a youngest child of three. Mm -hmm. um, they seem to have the best luck. Uh, and that's in many, many stories, actually. Uh, but this one... Um, concerns uh, an old man who had two daughters and as you might often find as well um, if there's three siblings the youngest one might uh, win a fortune but if there's two fairly, fairly predictable that one of them will be lovely and kind and perfect and the other one will be horrible and stuck up it coincidentally aligns with one of them being far more attractive. Often does, yes. <laughs> um, not always, but often. Um, it doesn't say so in this one, but it does say that one of these girls was a steady, decent girl, and the other was a stuck-up, proud, conceited piece. <laughs> a piece? Piece. Of, of what? <laughs> Sort of a, an old-fashioned way of referring to a girl, I think. <laughs> sort of a, a country <laughs> expression. I guess you have a side piece. 
<laughs> yeah. I've never questioned what that's a piece of. <laughs> uh, and one day, the nice girl said to her father, Father, give me a cake and a bottle of beer and let me go and seek my fortune. <laughs> that's the dream, honestly. <laughs> Sounds like a night out. <laughs> it does not say how old these girls are. <laughs> Um, but, you know, given a lot of people used to drink beer and it wasn't that strong, um, could be fine. So anyway, um, <laughs> the nice girl with her bottle of beer walks a while through the wood and she sits down to, to eat her cake and drink her beer. And while she's eating, a little old man comes by and... Ask her what she's doing, and she says, I'm going to seek my fortune, sir. And he says, well, that sounds lovely. Um, I'm very hungry. Do you think you could share your dinner with me? Um, and of course she says yes, because she's the nice girl. Um, and the old man tells her that he will tell her where to seek her fortune. You must go on further into the wood until you come to a little old cottage where the green lady lives. You knock at the door, and when she opens it, tell her you've come to seek service. She will take you in, mind you be a good girl, and do as she tells you to do, and you'll come to no harm. So the little girl thanked him kindly and went on her way. So, she finds the cottage, she knocks on the door, she tells the lady that she's come to find a job, um, and the green lady says, what can you do? And she says, I can bake and I can brew and about the house can all things do. Always helps if you rhyme. Mm -hmm. It's more um, trustworthy so, if it rhymes. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, more, more memorable as well. And so she goes into the house. And as you might expect, um, she does a very good job um, of baking and brewing and all things doing. Um, and there's a bit about a fish where she goes to the well and the fish talks to her, um, and, and this happens three times, and it doesn't seem to have a lot to do with anything else in the story. There's just a talking fish there. There's just a talking fish. There's three talking fish, actually. Oh, okay. Um, it's not the same one. Yeah, three distinct talking fish. <laughs> and you do find this often. I think it's a feature of the tales having evolved so much over the years, and bits of other stories sort of ending up in them, and people just kind of conflating some of the things they've heard before into one. Um, and and some parts of the story, you know, it rambles on a while and. Um, not all of it has any effect on what happens in the rest of the story. Yeah, see, with, with um, a lot of these being like oral tradition, there's always a part of me that wonders, like, is there a point where someone forgot what happened next and they just inserted a little side story? Yeah. Or a chance for a little rhyme, you know, that you've heard somewhere to go in. Yeah. Um, like the fish say to her, they who eat the fairy's food in the churchyard soon shall dwell. Drink the water of this well, and all things for thee shall be good. But be honest, bold, and true, so shall good fortune come to you. Not a fan of that rhyme scheme. <laughs> well, most fish don't study poetry, I guess. So Some do. Um, apologies if that's like unfair to fish. Um, if any of them are listening to this podcast, you can send us a message on Tumblr and complain. Prejudiced against fish. <laughs> um, Gonna get cancelled. <laughs> anyway, after the whole fish episode, um, she's had one instruction from the lady, and that is that you must never look into this room and that's another feature of many tales mm -hmm. is that um there is one specific thing extremely specific that the protagonist is told not to do and what happens if you tell someone not to do an extremely specific thing they go and do it 
first Often. opportunity. <laughs> Often you cannot stop thinking about this one specific thing and why you've been told not to do it. Um, and so she looks through the keyhole of this room and she sees the green lady dancing with a bogey. Have you heard of a bogey? I assume this is like a bogeyman, like a weird messed up creature. Uh, yeah, kind of like a the bogeys are kind of like a wild man sort of creature almost. Okay. Um, they're yeah, they're sort of a funny little guy. <laughs> There's a lot of funny little guys in folklore. But there absolutely are. Um, <laughs> and most of them will mess you up. <laughs> and so, in a completely reasonable reaction to this. Um, the green lady blinds the little girl. Sure. Um, but she she gives her all her wages and sends her home. So make of that what you will. I mean, I I don't think it makes up for it. Yeah. Um. However, she probably gave her the money so that she would be able to sue later. Like had a sign. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Accepted this as an occupational hazard of uh, of your work. Um, so, however, before going home, she meets a young man who is waiting by the well. And he tells her that before starting on the journey home, she must bathe her eyes in the well. Which she does, and it restores her sight. And then they go along together until they arrive at her father's cottage. And when she opens her bag that she was given by the green lady, uh, there's lots of money in it and um, there's lots of nice clothes as well. And so she lives happily ever after. Um, after, <laughs> after a rather bizarre turn of events. But, you know, she went out and she sought her fortune and I guess she found it. That really is one of those stories where th things just happen. Things do just happen. Um, and I kind of love that. It's like these things kind of happen, not for any particular reason, not because it's like a finely crafted narrative, but just because weird things happen out in the forest. Um, yes. The world is just full of strange and magical things. I just, I like it. I like the idea that something strange and magical might happen anytime you head out for the day. Um, make sure you're nice to fish, though. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> However, the story is not completely over um, because we forgot about the horrible sister. And the horrible sister sees that the nice sister has got lots of nice things from going out and seeking her fortune. So she says the same thing, give me a cake and a bottle of beer and let me go out and seek my fortune. But of course, she happens upon the old man and she doesn't share her dinner with him. And then she finds the green lady's house and she's not very good at her job. Um, and she's not very nice to the fish. And she looks through the keyhole, of course, and the same thing happens. Um, and then she comes home and... She just dies. That's kind of the end. Because that um, is a proportional punishment for what she did. There you go. Looking through a keyhole, apparently. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a part of this is that's like a clear um, trying to get children to be good component. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a big part of these stories where there's like, oh, there's uh, two... Two little girls, you know, ju just like you kids. And one of them was very good and one of them was very bad and the bad one died. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's that's folk stories. <laughs> kind of. It's, well, it's like half of folk stories. Um, so the next one <laughs> is another category. Uh, of folkloric trope, which is the magical item. Ah. 
MacGuffin. Well, the, the MacGuffin, if you will. <laughs> that is one of my favorite ones. You know there's a film called The Twin MacGuffins? Yes! I still need to watch it, but just the title. Do you want to explain what a MacGuffin is for those of our listeners who might not have heard? Um, it's basically the term for here is the super special item that is needed to make the plot happen. It's often either magical or high technology or just very valuable. But sometimes it's just a random thing that is useful in that particular circumstance. And and that is very much the nature of this particular magical item. Um, I guess it's not that much of a MacGuffin in that it's... I guess it is sort of essential for the plot to happen, but like... The plot absolutely doesn't need to happen. <laughs> I mean, does any plot need to happen? Well, that's true. I think that's often a case in folk tales. Is that um, the, these choices very much did not need to be made? But here we are, and yeah. strange and magical things are happening. <laughs> so, this one is a, a I think, a fairly well-known uh, Russian fairy tale about a soldier. And the soldier is in the army for 25 years and finally he is discharged with not much pay, um, which is very realistic. Yeah. We are done with you now. Uh, um, this is also a trope um, that appears in many stories and songs um, of the past is the old soldier um, who sort of has to do many things to make a living. And so the soldier is um, discharged from the army and sets off to attempt to make his way home. Uh, however, he has been away for 25 years and he hasn't really got that much ties to home left. And so he just sort of wanders on and he meets an old beggar standing by the side of the road who is asking for arms. He's, he's asking for some charity. Uh, now, the soldier has nothing but three biscuits. And, of course, uh, because there would not be much plot otherwise, he is kind enough to share his biscuits with the beggar. Um, thus, Feeding into another trope, which is that if you share your food or your belongings with uh, any random person who asks on the road, something good will probably happen to you. I mean, that's a fairly nice thing to do anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you'll get good, uh, good vibes, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so this happens three times, believe it or not. Naturally, because that's how many biscuits he's got. <laughs> Naturally, if he had five biscuits, it would probably be five. Um, <laughs> but finally, um, the third beggar asks if he would like anything back. And the soldier thinks, well, that's very kind of you, but um, I can see you haven't got much yourself. You don't have to give me anything. Um, but the beggar says, never mind, never mind, just... Tell me anything you'd like to have. Um, and the soldier says, well, I suppose the only thing, it'd be nice to have a pack of cards if you happen to have one, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to uh, while away some of my time on the road. And the old beggar happens to have a pack of cards. And so he gives them to the soldier and he says, take these. When you play with these cards, you will always be the winner, no matter who you are playing against. And I mean, that's pretty great to be so, fair. That is pretty cool. He takes the pack of cards. That's magic item number one. Magic item number two, which is also given to the soldier by this beggar, is a magical sack. Okay. <laughs> so this sack, anything you want to catch in the sack, you just have to tell it to get in. And they will have to do it. 
And then you can close the sack and do whatever you want with them. This seems so too <laughs> like this seems like a more powerful item, I'll be honest. <laughs> Somewhat, yeah, but these two items will both feed perfectly uh into the combination of our story, as you'll find out. What? <laughs> um, unrelated as they may seem. So the soldier takes the uh winning pack of cards and the uh, magical sack and he says thank you very much um interesting story about these items uh and goes on his way and thinks not that much more of it but you know he did want a pack of cards and it's nice to have a bag and so he goes on he comes to a town uh, he goes to the tavern. He gives the landlord some geese that he's managed to get and trade for a room in the tavern. And on the other side of the road is a very, very fancy looking house. And he says to the landlord of the tavern, what's up with that house? Um, who lives there? And the landlord says, no one lives there. Um, it is abandoned and when he looks closer he can see that indeed while it is clearly a very expensive and fancy house um, it looks like it's been uninhabited for quite a while there's some tiles falling off the roof um, there's a few of the sort of windows are, are busted out and so the soldier asks about it why it's empty and the landlord says well it is it is a beautiful palace it's a, a basically a mansion um but no one can live in it because of the devils ah of course the devils of course you should have thought of you that know. <laughs> just just regular homeowning problems mm. uh the devils well you see the devils every night they they crowd into the mansion and they spend all night shouting and screaming and, and playing cards and, and anything else that is sinful that they want to do and, and no one can live in it and anyone who goes in there doesn't come out again. Playing cards, you say, says the soldier. You know, I, I think I might give it a try. I think I might see if I can spend a night in that house alone. Uh, and so everyone at the end tells him that he's crazy and he won't come out alive. No one ever has, but he is adamant that he's going to give it a try. And so the very next night, he wanders into the big fancy house. He walks through all the rooms. Um, sort of having a look around sizing up the place goes into the biggest room of all and makes himself comfortable as he would as you would midnight comes and there is a scraping of horrible instruments uh, screams and shouts and uh, a huge noise of hundreds of devils arriving <laughs> as they do every night and they find the soldier there waiting for them. And they invite him to come and, and revel with them and play a round of cards. At least they're friendly. So the soldier, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some ulterior motive, I think. I probably wouldn't trust like a bunch of literal devils. But, um, you know, they're... Know, you're prejudiced against fish, you're prejudiced against devils. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I I would say I am prejudiced against literal demons. <laughs> um, fortunately, though, our soldier is not, um, and he's very happy to play cards with them as long as they use his pack of cards. Um, and so he deals them out, and they play a game, and the soldier wins, and they play another game, and the soldier wins again. And eventually the devils start to realise that cunning though they are, they cannot win a single game. And the soldier is in fact winning all of their money, slowly but surely. 
Um, and so this goes on <laughs> for much of the night. And they start cheating. They cheat as much as they can because they are devils, but they still cannot win a single game of cards. And so they are forced to give all of their money to the soldier. And once they've lost all of their money, well, being devils, their solution to this is that they want to absolutely tear him to pieces. He is not getting out of here alive. Naturally. Um, we'll get all our money back um, if we can get rid of him. So, any last words? And the soldier takes something out of his uh, knapsack. Oh, he's got his sack in a sack. Any last words? Yeah. Get in the sack. And so all of the devils <laughs> end up being squeezed against their will into the sack which is very much bigger on the inside, um, somehow. <laughs> and once they are all kicking and screaming, dragged into the sack, uh, he ties it up and goes to get some sleep. It's free real estate. <laughs> it's free real estate if you've got a magical sack. <laughs> <laughs> so in the morning, um, the people from the, the tavern come over to see what's happened, to, to find out what's left of the soldier. Um, and they peer into the windows, and there is the soldier walking around the house, smoking his pipe quite cheerfully, just, just having a look around. They are all astonished to see him alive, um, and they ask him, how did he manage to survive the devils? And he says, devils? I wish everyone I played cards with had paid their debts so honestly. Look, look at all the money that I won from them. <laughs> and indeed, there is a huge pile of gold lying on the floor. <laughs> um, uh, there you go. And so there is a lot more to the story. Um, it, um, like many stories, goes on. Um like a characteristic of um, many Eastern European stories that I've read is that it, it sort of goes on for a long time um, and by the time you get to the end of it um, it's in a very different place from where it started um, but it it sort of ends with he's got this house and all this money um, and eventually he traps death in the sack and makes a deal with death so that um, he can never be caught uh, and so the last part of the story is that the soldier um, after sort of travelling to both heaven and hell uh, ends up back on earth death would not take him there was no place for him in paradise and no place for him in hell for all I know he may be living yet oh I like that which is a very good one very ambiguous ending mm. So, so that is our magical item tale containing two, not one, but two magical items. Uh, feels like it should be three, uh, but no. I think the third one is the soldier's sheer gumption. <laughs> I, he is a very cool protagonist. Um, absolutely no, no amount of flusteredness anywhere in this entire story <laughs> everything that happens to this man he's just like huh okay but then i suppose after 25 years in the army especially in that era as well it's just like this yeah. might as well happen <laughs> there might not be much that surprises you <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so that's that's a two magical items so far um i don't know if you can think of any more sort of famous Magical items. We got the the magic beans in Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, trying to think of any more off the top of my head. Um, things like magic swords. There's a lot of magic swords. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, 
there's the cauldron that keeps producing porridge in that one oh, yeah. story about porridge. Yes, that is a good one. Um, yeah, please um, send us your favourite MacGuffin with no context. <laughs> please send us an email, just title it MacGuffin and then tell us what it is. Or send us a message on Tumblr that's just a description of the MacGuffin. <laughs> we want to know about your MacGuffins um, because I would just, I would love to know so many more. Um, also, I feel like I should do after this episode comes out, I feel like I should do a film night in the Patreon server where we watch the Twin MacGuffins. Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, do let us know. But those are two of my favourites. Um, there is a slight MacGuffin-ish element <laughs> to the next story. The third one that I have. Um... That's a sentence that possibly has never existed before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this one is one of the first stories that I was told. Um, my dad used to read from this collection to me. And this one is a collection of stories called the Jataka Tales. And these are stories that originate in India and they are about the previous lives of the Buddha when he was incarnated as various animals before he was incarnated as a human. Mm. And yeah, they are, they are wonderful stories. Um, and the edition that uh, my family owned and I still have, it's on my bookshelf right now, it's lovely, is uh, it's a, a translation by a woman called Noor Inayat Khan and she has had an incredible life, um, she's a really interesting person to I look up. I think I've heard of her, yeah. Um, yeah, she is, there's a book about her that came out in the last few years. Um, let me just... She was she was a spy, right? She was, yes. Um, what's the book about her called? Okay, I can't remember the exact one, but um, there is a book called Spy Princess, The Life of Noor Inayat Khan, um, which is a biography of her that you can find. She's so uh, cool. I have not... Um, yeah, I have not, not managed to read one of her biographies yet um but it is definitely on my list um but basically um she was a descendant of uh indian royalty and her family was living in britain at the time of the second world war um she had um at this point already become an author she'd she'd published her detective tales um and a few others um a few other publications um but during the second world war she was uh, uh yeah she was a spy she was uh, an soe agent i believe specifically the uh, first female radio operator to be sent into france i did not know that yeah the first okay first female radio operator sent by the uk into nazi occupied france wow to work that with the resistance. <laughs> She's just so cool. <laughs> she is very cool. Apparently her code name was Madeline. Um Yeah. Um sadly she died. Uh she was killed um in action essentially. She ended up being captured. Um but um Fortunately, um, we still have her wonderful stories uh, that she wrote down. And this one from the Jataka Tales um, is the Monkey King. And it contains the fairy tale trope of the animal that is more than it seems. Oh, that is my favourite. I love a smart creature. 
<laughs> funky little creature. Yes. Funky little creatures are the best. They are fantastic. Um, so... <laughs> There are many incarnations of this. There are people that are changed into animals, animals that are changed into people, animals that are sort of almost anthropomorphic. Um, this one is kind of unlike... It has the same element of the animal is an animal and a person at the same time. Um, and that the person is like constant whatever incarnation they are in um and that that brings a really interesting dimension to it um and so this the story of the monkey king is that um there is a colony of monkeys who live in this magnificent tree next to a river and the fruit of this tree is the most delicious fruit that has ever been tasted. Doesn't say what the fruit was, but it may very likely be a mango. Appropriate to a very appropriate, <laughs> considering our, our last episode. Um, I'm I'm getting slightly hungry just thinking about this. Um, and this incredibly delicious fruit. Um, is both the sustenance and the main worry of this colony of monkeys because um, their king, who is the, the leader and the guide and the wisest of the monkeys, um, tells them that it is sure to happen that if the humans living nearby, ever find out about this fruit, they will come to destroy the monkeys and take it for themselves because it is so delicious. And so they must be very careful to pluck all of the flowers and any young fruits that grow on the branches of the tree that overhang the river um, so that it will never be carried away and the humans will never find out. And so the monkeys live happily in this tree for uh, many, many years until finally... Uh, happens. There is one fruit that the monkeys didn't see. It must have been hidden behind a leaf um, and it falls into the water and it's carried down the river. Now that river just so happens to be um, the Holy River Ganges uh, which runs through the city of Varanasi in northern India. And the king of the city at this time was called King Brahmadatta and he ruled with an iron fist. He was a tyrant. Um, however, he also, um, in his days off from being a tyrant, enjoyed bathing in the river. <laughs> and so he was bathing in the river. Um, it says um, in the story between two nets that were held up for him by servants um, so that he could uh, sort of bathe uh, without the the creatures in the river bothering him. <laughs> and um, something floated down the river and was caught in the net. And he went over to see what it was. And it was this very, very tasty looking fruit. So he took the fruit and he took a bite. And it was the most delicious thing he'd ever eaten in his entire life, ever. Um... And in fact, it was so delicious that he ran over to his ministers who were apparently sitting here and watching the king bathe. And he told them, you must try this fruit. And they tried it. And it was the most delicious thing they'd ever tried in their life, ever. Um, and they, they finished the fruit. Um, and immediately, King Brahmadatta realised that he couldn't stop thinking about fruit. He wanted to know where he could find some more. Um, and so he reasoned that the fruit must have come from somewhere. It came down the river. So to find it, they could try going up the river um, to see if they could find the, the source of where it came from. And so he gathered uh, a, a venturing party around him and they ventured <laughs> out 
It's not exactly going out into the world to seek your fortune if you already have a fortune, I think. No, but going out into the world to seek mangoes is still a noble goal. <laughs> that is something that is achievable in the modern age. <laughs> I'm going to have to go buy a mango tomorrow. Yes. No, Just don't say it. going to buy a mango. Going out into the world to Sorry, seek yes. a I'll mango. Go out into the world and seek a mango. <laughs> I wish you good luck. <laughs> Make sure to share it with any mysterious old beggars that you find on the side of the road. Oh, naturally. They might give me a MacGuffin. They might. And then you'll have... Oh. Then you'll have a MacGuffin. Oh. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. I'll get on with the story. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm running out of time, so I'll go a little quick. Um, but the <laughs> the king and his uh, soldiers and his ministers travel up the river until finally they find the tree. And they can tell it's the tree because they see many more of those delicious fruits um, hanging on it. But they also see that there is something living in this tree. Um, and one of the ministers goes to take a look, and he he realizes it's a colony of monkeys. Sire, the tree is already occupied by these monkeys that appear to be living in the tree. And so King Brahmadatta, being a tyrant, uh, says, "That's all right. We will wait for the morning, because at this point it was a bit dark. And once we can see them properly." We shall shoot down all of the monkeys and we shall eat of their flesh as well as of the mangoes. Ah, ha, ha. Um, clearly a terrible person. And so the monkeys hear this um, because it is a, a condition of folktales that the animals can, of course, understand human speech. Mm -hmm. And they run to their king and they say, well, this is terrible. What you said has it's come to happen. The humans have found us. They're going to kill us all. What do we do? And so the king of the monkeys calms them all down and he says, my children, I have feared this would happen for a long time and I know what we must do. Um, and the monkeys will go, what, but what can we possibly do? We can't get away. There's no tree that's close enough. And in fact, the nearest tree was indeed um, a fair distance away, a gap that no monkey could leap. But one. Oh. And so <laughs> the king of the monkeys takes a vine of the tree and he ties it around his waist. And he makes a great leap, 20 bow lengths or more through the air. And it would have been enough. But he forgot that in tying the, the vine around his waist, it shortened it by just a little bit. And so he couldn't quite reach the tree. He was able only to catch onto it with his arms. And so his idea having been to make a bridge that the other monkeys could come across, he hadn't quite made it. But he called out to them and he told them, come across, I'll cling onto this tree and use my body as the end of the bridge and you can come across to the tree. And so all the monkeys start running across to the next tree over this bridge. And in their panic, they're they're running so fast um, that the poor monkey king, um, his body gets gets beaten and broken, and all of this is happening in the tree. And underneath, the humans are standing there, open mouthed. They can't believe what they are seeing. And King Brahmadatta realizes that the monkey king, um, because apparently this monkey is so regal, he can just tell it's the leader, um, is, is giving his life for his people. He is he's sacrificing himself. He can see that the king is, is slowly dying, but he continues to cling onto the tree um, and he won't stop until the last monkey has escaped into the other tree uh, and they can escape further into the forest. 
and he is incredibly moved by this sight. He feels something change inside him. And so he asks of his servants that they bring the monkey down and that they give him sweet water to drink and they dress him in yellow robes and they make him comfortable. And so they do this. When the monkey, uh, the, the last monkey has gone across and his strength fails and he lets go of the tree and falls to the ground, they catch him and they dress him in the yellow robes, they give him sweet water to drink and King Brahmadatta ask him why did you do that what why did you sacrifice yourself um even though you you knew that you wouldn't also um be able to to be saved um and the monkey king said well see the thing is the best way, the most perfect way to rule is with love. And if I, out of my love for my people, can have given up my life for them, then I will be happy. And with that, he dies. And Wow. I know. It's, it's, a, it's a very powerful end to the tale. And King Brahmadatta is forever changed by this experience. He feels this immense grief for, for the Monkey King, who was so brave and so clever and who had sacrificed himself for the lives of others um, without even a complaint. And so he um, carries, he, he buries the monkey with the greatest of reverence and he goes back to his city and he becomes, instead of a tyrant, uh, an incredibly gracious ruler. And it becomes known as one of the most glorious reigns um, of that city. And, and he lives his life after that for his people um, and gains the, the best of reputations. And that is the story of the Monkey King. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. It is, it, is, it is a good one. I very much enjoy telling it. Um, and it's, it's very much reading, worth reading that version of the Jataka Tales, um, if you can get hold of it. Um, and so that is it for my... Um, there, there are many, many more stories that we could go through, but uh, <laughs> it's just going to stick with those ones for now. There are famously um, a lot of stories. <laughs> And you can categorise them um, until the cows come home. Um, but sometimes they will always surprise you. RPG ideas should be good, right? But what this podcast supposes is maybe they don't have to be. The Probably Bad podcast brings you ideas like dire humans fight your GM in real life. And what if there is an eye laser man? Listen to the Probably Bad podcast available everywhere podcasts exist and some places where they don't. So have we got time for a local ladder? We do. It's a very brief one. Uh, Buffalo wings. Buffalo wings? Are they from buffaloes? They are from Buffalo, New York. Oh, that's a place, isn't it? Okay, that makes more sense. I was always wondering what they had to do with actual buffaloes. They're named after a place which is named after the animal. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just curious why this town has an iconic way of cooking wings. Yeah. Um, so buffalo wings are actually recent enough that we have a story which involves um, some people who are still alive. Okay. And um, buffalo wings are 50 next year, according to the story. Not 50, 60. The passage of time. I suppose I didn't expect them to be like ancient cuisine, but like that's fairly young, I guess. Yeah, for something that is that iconic. Like, yeah, that's that has a Pringles flavour. <laughs> Is that the measure of like how how established something is? I mean, most Pringles flavors are like 
It tastes of cheese. <laughs> it's got tastes like vinegar, you know? Yeah. Although there is a Donna Kebab one. All right. Which is surprisingly good. But this isn't about Donna Kebabs. That's... Or Pringles. Or Pringles. Buffalo wings. Um, so buffalo wings differ from a lot of fried chicken in that they are deep fried without a breading or a coating. Okay. Um, so yes, they were... The story goes, at least. I'll, I'll get to this. Um, that a bar owner in Buffalo at the Anchor Bar, uh, Teresa uh, Bellissimo. I'm assuming it's Teresa, not Teresa, because there's two S's. Which, I also just love the name Teresa Bellissimo. That is, that is a good name. Um, so, one of the stories, the one told by her husband, Frank, is that instead of being delivered chicken necks for a sort of chicken stew that they served, they were delivered wings instead. And he basically told her, just just do something with them. So she made a sauce out of hot sauce and melted butter primarily. And that was the buffalo sauce. Okay. I've I've never had a buffalo wing, so that that's what's in them. Yeah, I I really like buffalo wings, I will say. I had some at my mimic's wedding because the place did, Oh yeah. The place did wings and wedding wings. <laughs> <laughs> we started as we went to go on. Um although Frank and Teresa's son Dominic um claims that, you know, in the 60s, Catholics still did the no meat on Fridays thing. Mm -hmm. But him and his friends had been getting very drunk in the bar and wanted something meaty to snack on as soon as it hit midnight. <laughs> so she whipped up these wings. And a distinctive thing is that she apparently cuts the wing separately to produce a drumstick and what's called a flat, which is the that kind of just the two bones with some meat around them wing shape mm -hmm. that you that you think of when you think of chicken wings. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah it's served with a blue cheese salad dressing and apparently they just became that successful that by the eighties they were being served all over the place. And Buffalo actually has a chicken wing day in July. Really? Since 1977, there's been a chicken wing day in July in Buffalo, New York. We love a local food-related uh, event. We do. Uh, however... Oh, there's more? Well, there's controversy. Yes! Because um, John Young a resident of Buffalo, New York, told someone, sort of writing down this story, that he was the real creator of these wings oh. at his restaurant, John Young's Wings and Things. <laughs> uh, because fried chicken and chicken wings, especially with being kind of an overlooked, often just thrown away unused part of the chicken, mm -hmm. um, were a big part of African-American cuisine for a long time because a lot of African-American cuisine is making do with whatever you can get hold of. And he claims that he invented the the buffalo wing. With the main difference though being that his wings are whole and breaded, which some people okay. claim is not a true buffalo wing. It might oh, have the sauce, so... but it's not it's not sliced, it's breaded, it's not a buffalo wing. There's always already discussion of like what is the true buffalo wing. Yeah. Um 
Um, but it's it's now so well known that it's it's everywhere. In the nineties, Domino's launched Buffalo Wings as one of their products, and apparently spent thirty two million dollars again in the nineties advertising the fact that they now had buffalo wings what um and there's a there's there's apparently a chain in the u.s called buffalo wild wings where this is their whole thing who have branches all over the place they're planning to open branches um actually this article's from 2013 so probably at this point have open branches in dubai okay Wow, and that's all they sell. Well, they they sell wings generally, but buffalo is the mm-hmm. the iconic American chicken wing, mm-hmm. which is probably why John Young is so like, this is mine. Because mm-hmm. like if 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 you did that first, you'd want people to know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is an an extremely specific history. It is, and I just I just thought it was fun. But yeah, most buffalo sauces have other things in now as well, um, especially Worcester sauce and garlic powder seem to be particularly common, and cayenne mm-hmm. if you want a bit more heat. But it's mostly hot sauce and butter. That seems like a fairly simple yet winning combination. Definitely. Especially since, frankly, most of the other things that I've seen looking at different buffalo sauce recipes are things you could combine to make a hot sauce. So, yeah, buffalo wings. They are delicious. I will have to try them. So, thank you for listening. If you if you do want to send us your favourite MacGuffin without context, you can message Bread and Thread on Tumblr or Twitter, where we also post teasers for episodes and things we talk about and just reblog stuff. You can also find us uh, by email at breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you would like to let us know that way, or if you would have an idea for an episode, or you just want to tell us how much you like buffalo wings. Tell us your favourite place to get buffalo wings in the UK, because Hazel needs to try them. (laughs) I mean, I'm not that far from London, which I feel is probably a a good bet. Um, And if you want to support the show... You can go to patreon.com slash bread and thread to get access to monthly recipes and a Discord server where recently we've been talking a lot about sourdough for some reason. Which is I it mean it's delicious. I mean it is delicious. I love my sourdough son. <laughs> so I, I tried during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to be one of the, the cool sourdough kids, but it died. <laughs> Uh, we were doing sourdough before it was cool. <laughs> Dorian is almost old enough to start school now, I believe. Damn bread hipsters. <laughs> it's so good though. Mm. Makes the best pizzas. Yes. But thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>